Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks so much. Okay. Um, Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here. Um, So we have been going through James for the last uh, couple of months, actually. Um, So we're on our penultimate James. We're in chapter five. We're nearly at the end. Last week, Pete is going to finish it off for us. Um, But we are in chapter five, verses seven to 11 today. So I'm going to read and we'll pray and we'll kind of see what God might want to say to us. James 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who've persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Okay, so Father, just as we come to this passage together and as we seek you for patience in suffering and guidance to be a prophetic voice um, under your compassion and mercy in our city, Lord Jesus, we ask you to come, help us hear from you, help us know how to apply it to our personal lives and also to us as a community. Do you be here with us, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so um, I don't know if any of you have had a horrible experience of waiting. Okay, I don't know what your worst experience of waiting would be. Some of you were like, yes, that's very fresh in my mind. Um, I, I have three children, and so I've spent a, a relatively large amount of time in A&E waiting for things, okay? And over the summer, we had my, my least favorite experience of A&E yet um, when we were in France. So first day into a camping trip, uh, my son was on a trampoline, don't do that, um, and uh, he'd managed to sprain his ankle badly enough that he was up all night in pain, and so the next morning I was like, I've got to go, I've got to take him. Um, and so we ended up in A&E. Um, a and is fairly confusing at the best of times, but my French is nowhere near as good as it needed to be uh, for that, that kind of space. So people are talking to you in a language you don't understand about medical stuff that you wouldn't understand in English, to be honest, anyway. Um, it's, you're in pain or the person you're with is in pain and you're frightened as well. There's fear there, isn't there? And then there's also this kind of powerlessness as um, people around you are trying to help you, but you also don't really know what's going on. And then sometimes uh, we spent some time in a room. We spent some time waiting in a corridor. Um, and as we were, some people were brought, that one guy was brought in unconscious and covered in blood. And you then kind of, you know, your weight's gone up, but you're also aware that like, there's some really difficult stuff happening that you can't change your help with. So how do people feel in that kind of situation? Give me some, give me some words. Like how might people feel in that situation? What's going on? Helpless, Helpless yeah, powerless. Anyone else? Panicked. What, panicked, yeah, panicked and fearful, really, really fearful about what, what might go on. Anything else? Frustrated. Angry and frustrated, yes. The best of us comes out in A&E, doesn't it? <laughs> Saturday at 4 a.m. at the QE, you see the best of humanity on show. No, we don't. <laughs> It leads people to make poor choices, their pain and their fear and their powerlessness. So my question to you this morning, and I think this is what James is talking about for us, is that's what living in the world can feel like sometimes, isn't it? That's what living in a world like ours can feel like, pain and fear and powerlessness 
Lots of reasons to despair, lots of reasons to panic and be afraid, lots of pain that we're experiencing or that we're seeing in other people. And James has some answers for us and some advice. Okay, so that's what we're going to go through today. Firstly, what is James waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are Christians waiting for? Or where are we putting our hope? Might be another way to say that. Now, James, in line with the rest of the New Testament, his hope is in the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus. Okay, they have this sense, the New Testament church, they know that they have power now, and we're going to talk more about that next week. They know that sometimes when they pray, they see amazing things happen. They know that many of them live a different life to what they did before they met Jesus and had the Holy Spirit because he's changed them. And they know they're called to live that different life out in a way that shows people who Jesus is and that Jesus has promised that he'll come and change things and change people around them as they live like that. Okay, so they have lots of hope for now. It's not just pie in the sky when you die. Okay, it's cake on a plate while you wait. If you haven't heard that before, I love cake. I love that phrase. But their ultimate hope is not in how hard can I pray, how hard can I work now. That's not where their ultimate hope is. Their ultimate hope is that Jesus promised that he would come back and he would set everything right. That's what they're looking out for. So we don't talk about this lots and lots at church. Um, there's lots and lots to talk about. But uh, the end of the world and the start of the next one is a really important piece of how the New Testament church sees itself and sees Christianity. So it may be worth sort of talking about what that looks like a little bit. If you were with us last year, we went through Thessalonians, which is another letter in the New Testament. Um, and there it talks about what happens when so Jesus um, left his followers. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to come back. And he went up to heaven. Um, and then in Thessalonians, it talks about him coming back and says that they will light up the sky. There'll be the sound of a trumpet, the voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise. All the people who've died will rise again. And um, that essentially, probably a big takeaway from that is that we'll know it's happened. So it's not going to come in a way that says, oh, has it, has it happened, has it not? We'll know. And we'll also know because of what happens afterwards. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the phrase, the kingdom of God before. So I know some, some of you might, if you've been around church, know what that is about. But essentially, if you've ever prayed that Lord's Prayer, maybe at school, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, okay, that's essentially what the kingdom of God is, the will of God being done on earth as perfectly and wonderfully as it is in heaven. What does that look like? Well, um, the kingdom of God, the peace of God, is often talked about um, with a Hebrew word, shalom, which just means peace. Okay, so you might, if you have Jewish friends, they might say shalom to you when they meet you or when they go home. And it means they're wishing you peace. But sometimes, especially on a feast day, they might say shalom, shalom, which means perfect peace. There's a depth to it. And that depth is this picture of what God wants to do in the world, that picture of the kingdom, God's will done on earth just like it is in heaven. Now, what does perfect peace mean? Well, what would perfect peace in your body look like, for example? It would look like your um, immune system not actually causing more problems while it was trying to fight something off, for example. Or if you're like me, it would look like getting out of bed and not having to stretch everything before you could walk down the stairs comfortably. That's, I don't know if you're at that age yet, but that's certainly where I am. My husband's laughing because he watches me do it. Um, reconciliation in your family might look like 
understanding and relationship and a depth of love that you don't see right now. Recon reconciliation and shalom, shalom in our communities might look like racial justice and economic justice that we just don't see. And then we can see that in terms of nations and politics and leadership and economics and the ecosystem of the whole world. Actually, that kind of shalom, shalom, reconciliation and peace is what we're all crying out for, isn't it? If that's possible and promised and true, and Jesus is going to do that, that's a wonderful thing to be waiting and hoping for. And actually, it's what all Christians and all Jews, actually, have been waiting for and hoping for for thousands of years. Waiting for Jesus to come and sort things out, waiting for the promises of God, is kind of a universal experience for those who followed God. And you can see that if you uh, read the Old Testament as well as the New, if you read the Psalms especially, people going... God, the world around me is really difficult. I know you're going to change it. Please do it soon, because it's really hard. That's kind of often the conversation between believers and God. And James says, okay, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know that it's hard to see. Jesus is coming back, fine, but it's hard to know that's going to happen. It's hard to hold on to when the world is difficult. And James uses a familiar illustration for us. Well, for, for them anyway, from farming. I don't know if anyone here is a farmer. South Birmingham's not the best place, if I'm honest, to farm livestock, try and grow things. Um, anyone ever planted a seed? Anyone ever done that thing? Oh, just you, Jan. <laughs> Jan. Good job. Um, anyone ever gone, has anyone ever then gone back to it day after day to see if it sprouted? This is what my mum says I used to do. We used to bring home, if you grew up in this country, you probably bought home cress, Okay which is this little peppery plant that nobody eats, right? It just, anyone eat it? No. Oh, you do? Okay, just Anne. Lovely. Okay. <laughs> it's a good one because you get a seed and you can, you literally, you don't even have to bother with soil. You can just put it on wet paper and a few days later it will grow little roots and a shoot and you can see it happen, which if you're, if you have an impatient child, as I was, then that's really helpful because they don't lose interest or lose hope before the thing grows. But actually, a farmer knows that it takes time. If you sow a crop, you're going to have to wait for months and months to see anything above the surface, and then probably some more months and months before you see any fruit. In fact, if you're growing fruit trees, you're talking five years between planting something and seeing anything happen. And actually, you'll probably know this. We're not farmers here in South Birmingham, but I know many of you are teachers, doctors, business people, parents, and I know that you are probably doing the same thing. You're trying to see change happen or trying to lead something in a good way or trying to teach or train people or trying to grow a business and that takes time and you'll, you have to kind of have this trust that what you've started off is going to have a long-term impact don't you a bit like the farmer so James talks about you know what actually the farmer doesn't think that's not going to happen because he knows it's going to rain and he knows the seasons are kind of the same every year but James is also referencing something in the old testament Okay, he's referencing something from Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11 says, So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. So this is obviously, for that culture, this was a relatively normal thing for them. But what it's bringing out is two things, I think, that we can do as well. When we trust that something that we've sown is going to grow, or when we trust that something God said is going to happen is going to happen, we're actually trusting in two things. 
We're trusting in God's faithfulness. We're trusting in who God is. So if you have been around church for a while, hopefully you've um, said yes to following Jesus and you actually have a kind of conversation with him going on through prayer and through your Bible on a regular basis. Now, I know some of you here, that's not true. Some of you are here just asking some questions and seeking things out and that's completely fine. We love that you're here. But who God is, is a big part of why we can trust him. Okay, And if, that's, if that is you and you're not quite sure, have a read of the Gospels and who Jesus is because he is an extremely trustworthy person. And that just comes out in everything that he does. So we trust God's faithfulness as a person. We also trust his processes. There's something about just the fact that like, it's going to rain and things are going to grow and you're going to try and sow some things into your work and you won't see them for a while. But actually, if you keep plugging away and being faithful, there's a process there that will ultimately bring change. There's a faithfulness to that. So we trust God's faithfulness and we trust that God ultimately has this process under control. The other thing that we're trusting is the work of Jesus. So Jesus came um, as God himself in a human. And obviously at that point, God and humans are then connected forever, aren't they, in this one person. And then he died, so that, and then he rose from the dead. So when he died, he paid for everything that we had, might have had a problem with, with God. And him rising from the dead means we don't have to have pain and fear and powerlessness in the face of death, because he's already come through and sorted that all out. Okay, so new life and this whole kingdom thing, it's not just possible, it's promised, and it's promised by someone who already walked through it for us. That's the kind of faithfulness that we're standing on. So we're patient because we're waiting and trusting in the faithfulness of who God is and also in his processes. But okay, sure. What does it look like to wait patiently? What do you mean by patient, actually? Um, can anyone give me, like, patient body language? If I said, pretend you're being patient right now, what would you do? Anyone? Nice. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm not up for acting at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Don't make me do this. Okay. The ones who did, what you did was really interesting. You all kind of did a version of, hmm, all of you. Okay. It's the, what we call the, the cue in the bank pose, right? That's what we all do. You didn't just go to sleep. You made deliberate actions of holding yourself back and trying to do something which, which stopped you kind of acting out almost, holding back. Now, this is interesting because there are two versions of being patient in the Greek. One is a more relaxed, kind of sitting around, waiting for things to happen sort of version. And this one is not that. This one, and I'm going to look at, um, so Phil and another couple of people here also speak New Testament Greek. So if we get things wrong, they can tell you about it. Um, macrothymia. I'm saying that right? Yeah? Excellent. Okay. Um, so that's from macros, which means long, and thymos, which means passion or anger. So... Actually, patience has this meaning of holding back your anger for a long time. And that's why James connects it to the prophets who kind of had this suffering situation for a long time. It's not just a relaxed kind of simply waiting. It's a decision not to let the worst of yourself come out, to not lean into the pain and the fear and the powerlessness, but to lean into faithfulness to what God's got and to decide to act in that way, even though life is difficult. So it's not pretending things aren't hard. It's a decision to act differently in the difficulty. Does that make sense? Well, that's different. Okay. 
So James knows this, and he talks about the prophets and Job. So the prophets, if you are familiar with your Bible, it's essentially almost everything, I think, from like Ecclesiastes down to the New Testament, all the ayahs. So the Isaiah and the Jeremiah, um, Zechariah, Malachi and Amos, not ayahs, all those people. And essentially their way of following Jesus was to hear from God. Their role was to hear from God, okay, about what was going to happen and what the people should do about it, and then to tell the people who would like to hear it least, and to keep telling them till they listened, regardless of whether they listened or not. Does that sound fun? That's a fun commission from God, isn't it? Okay, but that's what they had to do. Now, some of them, like Jonah, we talked about him a few months ago actually as well, he had this prophetic word, God said, I'm go to this city, tell them to turn back, they're doing the wrong thing, I'm going to destroy them unless they do the right thing. Jonah told the city, And they did. They repented. They said, I'm so sorry, God, we need to change. And God relented and looked after the city. Most prophets did not see that. Most of them said, bad things are going to happen. God has a different plan for you. Please act differently. And then people didn't. And most of them saw bad things happen. And a lot of them actually also didn't see most of what they prophesied about in their lifetime. So that's the picture that James is giving us for what it looks like to be a Christian, is to see something that's not here yet and doesn't look like it's going to come, actually, most of the time, and then keep saying that and living like that and telling people about that and drawing people into that life and then die without ever seeing it quite happen. That's, the, that's the, what the prophets did. Sorry, that sounds, a bit, that sounds a bit sad. There is good stuff to it as well, don't worry. But that's what we mean when we say follow Jesus and live life to the full. It's not that life is going to be a party and everything's going to be easy and sorted out for you. Um, Ezekiel, for example, had to shave his head with a sword um, and eat bread baked over poo. Yeah, just, if you, if you're, if you're, uh, you can go read that in the Bible. It's quite fun. Um, Jeremiah had to bury his underwear for a while. There's some like, pictures of what God was doing. And often these prophets would be living at these times when there was a real struggle, like a war or a famine or something, and they had to go and speak truth to power and follow and live for God in a time when that was really difficult. And now I guess they probably had to do a lot of macrothymia. They probably had to do a lot of holding back anger and resentment and deciding to trust God's faithfulness. And the reason this is encouraging is because my guess is that for a lot of us, that's how quite a lot of life feels. Actually, if we're trying to live for Jesus in our workplaces or in our families or in our communities. That's probably how life feels at some level. We see how it could be and we try and work for how it could be and we try and tell people how it could be and we try and live as well as we can internally, but actually there's quite a lot of disappointment and frustration involved in that as well, if we're honest about it. And so James wants to remind us that actually... If, if, you, if that's you, then you are blessed. Then you are doing exactly the right thing. You haven't got it wrong. You haven't heard God wrong. Or you don't need to stop being visionary and prophetic. You don't need to stop trying to sow into good things in your family or your community or your workplace. Because God does have it all coming in the end. The Bible talks about the whole world groaning as it waits for Jesus to come back. And I don't know if you can feel like sometimes you're groaning or as you watch the news or as you talk to your manager, um, that kind of groaning is there with you. But James says, you are part of this whole story that God is bringing about. 
Um, so you are blessed. Keep persevering. Keep going. Keep trusting God for that. And actually, James doesn't just tell us to wait prophetically and do that. He tells us to wait really well with one another. So verse 9 says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. As we're groaning and waiting and desperately hoping for God's faithfulness, but not always seeing it happen, we also need to let that bring us together, don't we, instead of we, and help us help one another to wait <clears throat> patiently. Has anyone ever found, like we said with A&E, the worst of yourself comes out when you're waiting for something? When you're frustrated? A&E made me really judgy, like really judgy, of other people's behavior. Why, why are they shouting at that nurse? Why are they getting so cross? Why is that doctor being really rude to that person? And sometimes if they're pain, you know, I can see they're not as bad as me. That teenager's just walking around, my eight-year-old's here in pain. Come on, come on, sort this out. And actually, that's what pain and fear and powerlessness can make us do. They make us compare ourselves with others and get envious of what they have, their stuff and their giftings, their family setup, their job opportunities, whatever it is. We can become really resentful and comparative. And then it's really hard, actually, to speak kindly of that person. And we can end up refusing their help and their friendship. Now, God has a, essentially has a, probably, as, you, as you've guessed, has a different plan for us as church. What he'd love us to be able to do is come together as actually an unusually mixed group of people. So I don't know if you, if you are aware of this, but I, I get the privilege of being up here um, probably about half the time that we get to meet together. And seeing the fact that we are a real mixed group of people from mixed backgrounds, mixed ages, huge differences in like wages and houses and how we live and what we do. And that's brilliant because that's the kingdom of God. Like the kingdom of God is for everybody. So that's what we want to see in church. But actually that can make it harder because we're constantly going to meet with people who might have different values to us or a different experience. We might think their stuff is easier or we might find actually that we, we find them just difficult to get along with. But the, the call of God on us, as James is saying, is to move towards each other, to not grumble and not compare, but to move towards each other, to assume that God is doing good things in the life of someone else, like he's doing good things in mine, and that actually they have gifts and things that might help me in the same way that I have things that can help them, even if they might have a really different experience to me. I think it can be really hard, actually, outside the church, and my, my friends would probably say this who aren't Christians, it's really hard to not have a faith, as in it's really hard not to have a hope, to kind of live in this world and think, this is it, this is as good as it gets, and we have to be the change we want to see, and if we don't, there's no hope for anybody. That's quite a huge burden that people carry. Um, it can also be quite hard to be a Christian, because we do have a hope, but we haven't seen it yet. And so we can kind of struggle because we know there's a solution and we've met the person who's going to solve it, but they haven't done it yet. And that can be, I don't think it's worse, but it's just different. There's a different level of heart sickness and disappointment that can happen to us. And actually that can make us struggle and maybe even struggle with each other more. And so essentially James is calling us to be family to hold back on some of that judgment of each other, to hold back on some of that competitiveness and try and move towards each other in patience and kindness, even though that's difficult. I don't know if you uh, think back to A&E, what happens? So if you're there and you're in that space and you're waiting and you feel powerless and in pain and struggling and you're not sure what's going on or why, and suddenly 
the nurse who's running A&E comes over to you. Okay, they're clearly in control, in charge of this situation. They come over to you and you realize that it's someone that you know. You don't just know them, you know them really well. And you know that they're the most kind and loving and thoughtful person, that they're excellent in their job. What happens to your level of fear at that point? It goes right down, doesn't it? Because you can trust that person. And if, like Aidan and I, something happens and there's a really bad accident and you can see that happen, um, everyone suddenly stops, all the other nurses and doctors stop helping anyone, they all rush for the door and they start bringing people in, then you know you're going to have to wait a bit longer, but you also know why. Suddenly you don't feel powerless, you've got a different perspective. There's something bigger than your personal pain going on. There's a greater power at work and something else that's happening. And eventually you'll get seen to but also there's a bigger picture happening as a perspective. So for us as church, I think there's some really helpful stuff in here, and we've talked about it a little bit. We're not to judge others from the outside. We're to be gentle with each other, assuming that everyone has their own struggles. That doesn't mean we can't gently correct a friend's behavior or give good advice, but we can do so out of a really deep love and a close friendship which is what God wants us to move towards. We can know that even in the pain and the fear and the powerlessness of this world, that we don't have to pretend that's not true. We can talk about that with each other. We can acknowledge that in our prayers. But we can know that God is faithful and that he's going to come and change that. And we can also know that something much bigger is going on than just us, but that God has that process in hand and he's going to, talk, he's going to come and change that. At the end of this passage, James fixes us on who God is because that's what we need to hear. And I think that's where we want to end today. The last verse, verse 11 says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And that's where we place our hope. God is full of compassion and mercy, love and faithfulness. He's going to come back. He's going to bring that shalom, shalom, the kingdom forever. Now you're called, we're all called to be citizens of that kingdom, called to work and live and speak for it, but he is going to bring it. And that means it's not on you. It means that if you're feeling like, goodness me, I've got such a big job ahead of me when I go out into Monday morning, God has got that job for you. And he's going to help you with it and he's going to sort it. If you're feeling like there's so much fear and anger in me and I know that's there, God is the one who wants to help you with that. He's not asking you to go out from here and try and solve that by yourself. He's asking to walk with you through a really difficult situation in his compassion and mercy for you. That's what he wants. Patience takes a lot of practice, but it also takes something of God coming and helping and moving in us. So I'm just going to invite the band back up, and I'm just going to give us a minute to see what God wants to do. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.